I want you to imagine with me a um, first date. I know that for some of you, that may have been the most anxious moment of your life, and you have a lot of anxiety, a lot of fears, and a lot of bad experiences. But imagine with me just a fictional first date. And this first date, the guy picks the, the girl up, and she and they go to this place to eat, and they sit down, they finally get a table, and they're sitting down at the table, and they're just sitting there, and they order their food, and then the, the lady starts asking the guy questions. And as she starts asking these questions, the guy says, no, 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 we, we're not doing that. I just came here to eat. I don't really want to talk, so no, no questions, no conversations. I just came here to eat and just be with you. Now, you that guy's probably not getting another date. But you got to imagine how weird that would be. Why wouldn't you have a conversation? Well, we know because like, that's what dating is. It's conversations, it's asking questions. But we also know from that that intimacy is directly connected to communication, right? Intimacy is directly connected to communication. No conversation, no communication, no affections. So if you have dates with no conversations and get to know one another, you're just people living in the same spot and in the same proximity, but no clue if each other are. That's because God has designed us as communicable beings, as, as people who need communication, as people who need conversation, they get to know each other. And he's designed us to know each other in our intimacy with one another that way. Therefore, he's designed us to know him that way. This morning, I want to I I address the subject of um, our communication with God. As we roll into 2018, we, we, it's, it's kind of typical to have a, a sermon on Bible and prayer as, as we go on to this, this year. This morning, I want to talk about what it means to hear from God, what it means to communicate with God. If communication is directly connected to our intimacy with God, then we need to know how that happens. And the problem is, most of us don't do it. LifeWay Research says that three out of five church-going Christians do not read their Bible on a regular basis. And before you, the shame and guilt comes on, that's, that's me, I don't read my Bible. Yeah, Zach, I know I'm an awful Christian. I want to ask the question, why is that? I think most of us are terrified of it, don't know it enough, haven't been to seminary, don't, don't like reading. There are all kinds of reasons we don't, and those are valid reasons, actually. This morning, I want to do a few things. This morning, I want to give four motivations for you to read the Bible. Four motivations for you to read the Bible. Then I want to land on two primary methods for reading the Bible. Four motivations for reading the Bible, then two primary methods for reading the Bible. So if you have a Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we'll be today. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you. It's in your bulletin and also will be on the screen. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be starting reading in verse 14. So if you're able and willing, I'd love for you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Second Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Hear the word of the Lord. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have been convinced of, because you know from those who have learned it, 
And you have from infancy have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we need you this morning to speak to your people so use your word to do that. Lord, on this cold and, uh, and um, hol- brittle holiday, let us be reminded in the, in the chaos of the holidays, in the brokenness of the holidays, you're still speaking. You're still calling. So Lord, speak and call this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So four motivations and two methods. First motivation, we see that the, the Bible is from God. The Bible is from God. One of the, my favorite shows, I'm not going to admit what the show is because it's probably not a good show to watch. I'm still working on my sanctification process. But in the show, this is criminal. And this criminal, is do, he does a lot of bad things, and, but he wants to be a good guy, and he wrestles with this turmoil of who he is and who he wants to be. And in this show, he writes down letters and journals to his kids. He has two boys. And in, in one of the opening scenes of the show, he, he's writing these journals to his boys, and he, he says this. He says, there are lessons to be learned here, but I write this primarily so that you would know me. He says, there are lessons to be learned here, but I write this primarily so that you would know me. And some of us read the Bible, and we look at the Bible, and we think, oh, it's a good uh, manual for life. It's a good rule book. It's a good pathway. And that's, those are all true. There's lessons to be found. You read the Proverbs, there's a lot of amazing lessons to be found in the Proverbs. But the main goal of the Bible is for you to know God. Here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. The gospel is a story of God's redemptive love for you. God has sent his son to rebellious people. He has sent his son not just to rescue them, but to die for them. And he's risen from the grave and he's given us life. We put our faith in him. But some of us just stopped there. But Jesus died for me. He's rescued me. But God doesn't just want your rescue. He wants your friendship. So what did God do? God didn't just send his son. God didn't just send his spirit. God sent a book. Because he knows you need a relationship. Not just with one another. You need a relationship with the creator of life. So he wrote a book. He sent us a book. The Bible is from God. From Genesis to Revelation, God wrote a book. The Bible is a screaming picture to you that God doesn't just want rescue. He wants communion. He wants you to know him. There are lessons to be learned in the Bible, but the primary goal of the Bible is for you to enjoy God, for you to know your creator. You may ask, like you just said Paul wrote. 
I thought the Bible was written by man. Well, yeah, that's true. The Bible is written by man, but it's also written by God. Let's just show you a quick example of what I mean by that. If you look at Matthew 19, Jesus is confronted about divorce. It's a random subject. And listen to Jesus' response in Matthew 19. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, this is God saying this, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh so that they no longer are two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together let no man separate. And he's like, what's the big deal there, Zach? Well, here's, here's what's going on here. Jesus puts quotation marks and gives that quote to Mark, gives that quote to God. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. He gives that quote to God. He's quoting God in Matthew 19. But if you go back to Genesis, God didn't say it. It was the author of Genesis, M- Moses, wrote it. There's no quotation marks in Genesis. So for Jesus, for our Savior, when he thinks Old Testament, he doesn't just give the credit to Moses, the author. He gives the credit to God, the author. When the Old Testament is quoted, God is quoted for Jesus. Jesus lines up with a guy, old theologian named B.B. Warfield, when B.B. Warfield says this, when the Bible speaks God speaks. The Bible is not just about God. It's from God. God wrote us a book. All Scripture is God-breathed. He spoke it into existence. And this is a God thing to do, right? The Trinity is what? One being but three persons? Nobody can figure that out. Jesus is fully God and fully man. The Word made flesh and made flesh in John 1, who is fully God and 100% God and 100% man. Also, the Word of the written Word of God is 100% written by man and 100% written by God. The Bible is from God. Every inkling, every letter, every dot was written from God to you for your joy. Well, you have faith in that. This book is written for you from God. That's motivation number one. The Bible is written from God. Motivation number two, that means the Bible is powerful. Think about this language of God breathe. What else did God breathe? Genesis 1, what did he do? How did he create the world? He said, let there be light. God used words to create the world. I don't know if you, we, I know we have some builders in here that can build something within a couple hours. I can't build something within a couple years. I'm sweating, I'm anxious. I call Eddie to help me do it. I call my neighbor to help me do it. I can't build anything. And God looked at this beautiful darkness this vast darkness, and said, let it be. 
When you walk outside, even though it's cold outside, you see the beautiful trees and the sky and the sunset and the evening. And God didn't even sweat when he made it. He's breathed words and it was so. Psalm 33 says that, that he used the breath of his mouth to create the stars. The thing about how he created man, he, he used dirt and he molded dirt into this form. And what did he do? He breathed life into the nostrils and created man. That's the power that God's words have. God's words create. What did Jesus do when he saw Mary and Martha weeping by the tomb? Did he, did he go up to the tomb of Lazarus and just roll the stone? Did he go pick him up and give him CPR? No, he says, Lazarus, rise. He rose. God's words have power. God's words create and recreate. This book has power. One poet says that, that when God breathed on man, he got, when God breathed on dirt, he got man. But when he breathed on man, he got words. God breathed this book into existence. That means this book is not just a stale book to collect dust. It's a book that holds the power of God. One of the reasons we preach the Bible week in and week out from this pulpit is not because we think it's the most useful tool. Because when we open this book, we think it can change people. I cannot change people. I don't know enough. I'm not winsome enough. I don't have enough cool stories. We believe this book can change lives. So the same power that created the world, the same power that raised Lazarus from the dead exists in this book. So when you open this book and read it, it may not feel like anything can happen. It may not feel like anything will happen or does happen, but it has the power to change. Struggling with a sin, get help, seek counseling, but this Bible does have the power to change you. If we read this book and take it seriously, it will change us. Because as we go closer to this book, we find our creator to be more beautiful and beautiful. This Bible is powerful. That's motivation number two. Motivation number three Another implication of God writing a book is that this Bible is true. This Bible is true. If, if, if the Bible is breathed out by God, if it's God breathed, there's some implications there, right? Because God is a good God. If God wrote a book, then he would never lie. Many of us have been lied to, right? Many of us have been hurt by lies. In a world like we live in today, we don't know what to believe. We have Twitter telling us one thing. We have Instagram telling us one thing. We have Facebook telling us something. We have the news telling us something. And we have all this information coming at us from all kinds of different directions. And we often are so confused about what the truth is. 
And in our culture today, truth is a a wobbly term. For many people, what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. So we can be directed to true north. We can be directed to where is the source of truth. And if God wrote a book, then God has not lied to us. If God wrote this book from Genesis to Revelation, every dot and tittle, every single word, then this book is true. You get questions all the time about the truth and the of Scripture, right? Probably from your coworkers or your kids. There's a bunch of books and a bunch of arguments about the truthfulness of this Bible. And those are good books. And they're worth your read if you have the, the, the years to read them. But ultimately, it comes down to faith. Yes, there's some stuff in this book that's bizarre, and you don't know how to understand it. It may be hard to believe, and that's okay. Doubt is not your enemy. But ultimately, we have to come down to is, is God good? Is God taking care of me? For my students, as I lead our students, as Gabe helps teach our students, as I help lead our high schoolers and middle schoolers, one of the things I want them to hold on to is this book. Because when they're at school and they're made fun of for being a Christian, they need something to hold on to. When somebody questions if something is sin or not sin, they need something to hold on to. Because parents, your words are, are valuable, but your words are not as powerful as this book. I want to teach them how to read this book. I want to teach them how to understand this book. Because when I'm gone or when they graduate, they need something to hold on to. Christian, you need something to hold on to when your coworker makes a joke about your faith. When something in, in your life starts you to question the Bible's truth. I would argue that one of the biggest temptations Satan is, Satan has in your life is you to doubt the Bible, to doubt God's word. This is what he did with Adam and Eve, right? What did he say? Did God really say you would die? Did God really say? Because he knows, he knows the truth that, that communication is directly connected to intimacy. And if you don't believe in the communication medium, if you don't believe in the Bible, then he knows your intimacy with God will falter and he'll have you. Christian, when, when you're going through that pain, when you lost that job, when your kid is leaving the faith or you have cancer or you go through a divorce, you need promises. You need promises to hold on to that God is near, that he's working all things for your good, that he has not left you or forsake you. When you're struggling with sin and people saying, oh, it's okay, you need Jesus' words that says, if your right hand tells you, is causing you to sin, cut it off. 
When you're struggling with people making fun of you for the faith, you need Jesus' words that when they slap you on the cheek, turn the other one. And when this world seems like it's going in reverse, it's going in chaos, it doesn't look very hopeful, you need the words of Revelation that says, God will win. This Bible has promises for your hope. It's not just some fairy tale. It's not just some book we learn for the history. Our faith is informed. And our faith is informed by the Bible. You know the old song? Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Why? How, how, how do we know that? The Bible tells me so. We know the gospel because the gospel has been put in words and passed down upon us. We know that God is for us and God loves us because God has given us a book. This book is true, not just for arguments, but for your soul. You need the truthfulness of this book. It's motivation number three. Motivation number four is that the Bible is enough. The Bible is enough. Look at verse 16 and 17 in your Bibles. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Listen to this. It's listen to this. So that, in your Bible, look at that. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What's the goal of the Bible? What's the purpose of the Bible? That you may be thoroughly equipped. For many of us in here, we, we, we hang on to verse, the motivation one, two, and three. We say, check off, check off, check off. We, we're good, Zach. But this is the one that probably hangs most of us up. Because if you're honest, your Bible reading is hindered because when you read this Bible, you get bored and you struggle. And what do we do when we get bored and we struggle? We go on to something new and better. God has not left us hanging. The goal of this book is to make you more like Jesus. The goal of this book is for you to know your creator. And God has given you enough. Now, I'm not bashing devotionals or books. We have books on our book column we sell all the time. I'm going to recommend some devotionals in a little bit. You go in our pastor's offices, you'll see books. Books are good gifts from God. But the Bible is given to us. And it is enough. If you're reading the devotional right now, that is a good gift. Sometimes we need a third will to help us understand who we're talking to. But if, if you think about this, a devotional, a devotional is like somebody, you letting somebody else date your spouse and telling you how it was. You're never getting really to experience God for himself. If you're reading a devotional, don't go burn it to go and throw it in the trash. That's a good gift. And it, 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 if you need it right now to help you understand the scriptures, it is a good gift. But sometimes devotionals lean us into replacing the Bible and not actually helping us understand the Bible. One, one uh, devotional writer says this, 
I know that God was communicating to me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. Increasingly, I wanted to hear what God had to say to me personally every day. I yearned for more. What, what basically, what, what, what this author is communicating, I don't think this author is communicating this intentionally, but that she's communicatingly saying that the Bible isn't enough for me. We need something different. We need something more. We need something personal. Guys, this Bible is personal. God didn't write this book and say, I didn't think of Zach. I would have written something different. Devotionals are good, but they're supplemental and not replaceive. The Bible was made to equip you for every good work. The Bible is enough. So will you have faith that God is a good father? We have faith that this Bible can change you. It may take time. It may take a little a, a struggle. But God is a good father and he has not left us hanging. He's given us plenty. He's given us enough. Four motivations for reading the Bible. The Bible is from God. The Bible is powerful. The Bible is true. And the Bible is enough. I'm going to land on two, like you can hang your hat on these two primary methods of reading the scriptures. First, receive it. Receive. Each Sunday you walk in here and you're going to hear a Bible passage read. Guess what? You're part of Bible reading once a week at least. Don't discount that. You're receiving the scriptures each week when you hear the Bible read. Receive the scriptures or you can listen to the scripture or read the scripture. In your bulletin this morning, you probably found a Bible reading plan for 2018. This is a way for you just to read the scriptures. This is five chapters a week. Five chapters a week. You get two days off. You read one chapter in about seven minutes or less. And you can catch up if you miss a whole week. And you see this, and probably some of you felt so much anxiety. You hate stuff like this because you know you're going to miss a day. Like, let's, let's squash that right now. Let's put a, a, a fire hose on that right now. God doesn't want you to read the Bible out of guilt and shame. You know what Satan does to you on, a, on, on stuff like this? Oh, you mess a day? You might as well give up. You're an awful Christian. You're no fun. Like, just give up. You don't need to read the Bible. Just watch Netflix. No, no, no. Read, and when you miss, restart. Pick up on the next day. Pick up on the next day. The, bio, the Christian life, and especially Bible reading, is a bunch of restarts. If you miss a day, okay, whatever. Go to the next one. Catch up. Do something. Catch up. On, start on the day you, you, you're on. Start on the week you're on. This is just a tool. This is not gospel. This is not law. This is a tool we've, we've created for you to read the Bible. We'd love for you to in, in, 
to dive deep in the Bible this year in 2008. That, that Bible reading plan is the New Testament in one year. Wouldn't it be awesome if we all read the New Testament in a year? That would, that would probably change a lot of our church, reading the Bible. Receive it. That's just receiving. That's passive learning. And if you don't like reading, there's apps where you can just listen to it. Like there's a version app. There's a bunch of different apps you can download on your phone. You can buy CDs. You can just listen to the Bible being read to you. And there's sweet voices. Like these guys are like from, from Lion King, the guy Mufasa. These guys are just reading the Bible to you. And you just, on your way to work, you can listen to a chapter of the Bible. Or while you're working out, on a run, or going to sleep. There's all kinds of resources out there for us now to just receive the Bible, passively learn the Bible. So receive it, then reflect on it. Reflect on it. What what does this mean? It means not just passively learning the Bible, but actively learning the Bible. So studying it. We gather each week in community groups. If you're not in community group, I would your first step in your spiritual formation is getting in a community group. And the goal of community group is not just Bible study, but it is a part of Bible study. Like, hopefully the, 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 your community group leader reads a passive scripture to start the, the community group. And you kind of discuss what that passage is about. That's a Bible study. And maybe you study the Bible on your own. Dive deeper in the scriptures. Two resources we really love here at our church, and there's other resources. We're not saying these are the only resources you can use. These are resources we love here at church. This is a recent resource. Our guys have used this in our men's Bible study. It's the He Reads Truth and She Reads Truth um, materials. Guys, we have a bunch of extra He Reads Truth materials out of the welcome table. If you want to dive deep, I think there's First and Second Samuel out there. There's John out there. There's Proverbs out there. We don't have any She Reads Truth out there, but it's a good resource for you to study the Scriptures, and it's very unintimidating. It's a way for you to study the Bible. You can write in the book. Because we have men's and women's Bible studies each semester. This is a way for you to understand the Scriptures better in community, to talk about it. Study the Scriptures. Meditate on the scriptures. I know that you think meditate, you think like crossing your legs and hold your hands out and trying to do something weird, yoga, like something like that. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Meditate just fixes a problem. We all have a problem when we read the Bible. That we read it and we walk away and we have no clue what we just read. And meditation does this. It helps you think on the Bible more than just reading it. One of our, if some of our pastors have been to seminary, and one of our seminary professors, Dr. Whitney, has been a huge resource for us as the pastors, and he wrote a book on meditation. And he listed 17 ways to meditate on Scripture. I actually have that document out there on the welcome table. 17 ways to meditate on Scripture. And he talks about singing the Scripture, drawing the Scripture, uh, emphasizing different words in the Scripture, all kinds of creative ways to think on the Scripture more deeply. And one of the most useful ways he's taught us how to meditate on Scripture is praying the Bible. This has changed my devotional life drastically. And what he does, I'll give you an example of what he does. He takes, takes a, a passage of Scripture, and he reads it 
Then he prays through that passage of Scripture. I'll just give you an example of, of Psalm 23. So you would read Psalm 23 and say, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path. So after reading that, you would go into prayer and just with your eyes open, read through the scriptures and pray. Lord, thank you for being my shepherd. My life seems so dark right now. I don't know where to find the light, but you have, you're leading me where I'm supposed to go. Lord, there's all kinds of needs and wants in my family, but my family is fed and provided for because you have given me everything. Lord, thank you for giving me rest. I, I need more of it. I definitely need more of it. But you have given me that rest. And what that does, when you read and pray like that, it fixes two problems. You, you, you meditate on Scripture. And when you pray, you're not chasing squirrels. How many, how many of us have, in our prayer time, we, we, we pray for a half a second and we already get a text message or something happens? This actually helps us focus when we're praying because we're praying with our eyes open, looking at Scripture, and the Scripture is helping us pray. So we're praying the Bible and understanding the Bible better. That's an easy way for us. That takes a couple minutes for us to meditate on Scripture. Even on meditating on Scripture, we do recommend devotionals. I know sometimes we quote Timothy Keller like he's God-breathed sometimes. But, but he, one of the reasons we love Timothy Keller, he says very good stuff in very few words. And one of the devotionals we recommend is, he, he's got two out now, both are out there at the welcome table, is his Songs of Jesus, which is going through the whole book of Psalms in 365 days. He's wrote a new one going through the Proverbs in 365 days. And one of the reasons I love this devotional, one, it's packed full of gospel truth. And the main reason it's brief. You can do this devotional in like five seconds. Like it's, like it's literally just a couple words you read. And you, just take a, you take a psalm, you read the psalm. He has a few words that he, he, says, he says, and then he has a prayer for you to pray. Me, I think me and Ashley and Lyle read through this this year. It's just, it's so good. It takes very few, very little time to do. We only have so many out there, so don't just like bum rush the welcome table to get those. But that's a great resource. And there's other, Scotty Smith's Everyday Prayers are good. We'll have more of those out there. Those are way, good ways to meditate on Scripture and let somebody in a devotional help you understand and think about the Scriptures. And one way, easy way to think about scriptures is meditate on scripture is to talk about them. Have somebody you meet with or in a community group and help you talk about the scriptures. When you talk about something, you remember something. Parents, I know one of the most intimidating, as I've had conversations with parents, one of the most intimidating things in your life is thinking you have to teach your kids the Bible. And there may be places for you to teach your kid the Bible, but I want to help you transition that thinking. Don't think of yourself as a teacher of your kids, but a student with your kids. Become a learner with your kids. Become a student with your student. That takes the pressure off. You're thinking and, and studying the scriptures with your kid and not just for your kid. 
That's the, pre- the pressure's off. And when you do that, it helps you understand the Scriptures. Reflect on the Scriptures. Don't just, just pass over them and check it off your list. God doesn't want that. God wants you to think on them. That we talked about first dates later earlier in the service, and um, that my first date with Caitlin came really hard. She said no to me a lot, like several times, not just like three times, multiple times. We met in, in a summer, and somehow through Facebook, I got into her private messages and messaged her somehow, and and uh, we got contact, we got her phone numbers, and and I was talking to her several times, and then I would ask her. I don't want a date, no, ask her on a date, no. And even a couple, uh, several years ago, I was going on this mission trip during this time, I was, this time of the year. I was overseas in a very dangerous part of the world. And this is one of those trips that I, I left a note back at home thinking I may not make it home. It was in a very, very dangerous part of the world. And I used that trip to try to guilt her into a date with me. <laughs> and she still said No. I might not even make it back. You may never see me again. I eventually, I eventually got a date with her about six months later after trying the first time. Each morning or each evening or each middle of the day, your Bible is an invitation. An invitation to talk and to hear from God. To commune with God. To have conversation with God. Here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. That when you say no, the next day the invitation still stands. And that next day you say no, the invitation still stands. And the next day you say no, the invitation still stands. God doesn't want you to read this book out of guilt and shame. It's a continual invitation for your joy. So 2018, let it be the year that we open this book and we dive into it, not so we know more, but we know our God better. Let's pray.